Well, good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of our pa- your pastors, and uh, we're excited about coming, bringing the word today. This, this is uh, at least one time every September, we sort of have a Sunday where we sort of mark the beginning of our academic year together. You know, I mean, since kindergarten, our lives have sort of oriented from September around the calendar that direction. And so we wanted to stop and we want to sort of mark together another, another year to sort of stop and remind ourselves what it is that we're all about here at this church that we love and um, that God has brought us into. And I'm recognizing that there are people that have been a part of this church for for uh, 40 years in this room, and there's people that today's their first Sunday. And um, in fact, somebody posted on Facebook, it was their first Sunday, and they had met some, uh, uh, they made a church buddy and, and posted that today was their first day, which was sweet. So I'm aware of that, but we want to remind ourselves what it is that we're all about. And in our church, we've actually chosen to paint what we're all about on the wall, which is pretty cool. Are you familiar with that? Have you sort of grown accustomed to seeing it? Or if you're new, you're like, oh, there is words on the wall. That, friends, is our vision statement. That's our mission statement. We are so compelled by it and so directed by it that we decided we were going to go ahead and paint it on the wall. And it turned out, we think, pretty great. We love having it up there. I'm not sure when uh, we'll change it, but change the vision statement but to different words or change the painting on the wall. But we sure love having it up there. You know, it, it makes some sense to put it on the wall. I mean, credos are important for us. Anybody who's ever been part of a sports team or part of an organization with a mission, there's been a rallying cry. Anybody who's ever served in the military, you know, there's, a, there's, there's sort of some power in these words that focus you, that crystallize your thinking, that motivate you, that, that rally you uh, around it. That's why some of the most famous quotes in, in popular culture have come from coaches or from sports uh, uh, analogies. You know, you think of Lombardi's uh, quote of, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing, right? That's the rallying cry. That was everywhere in Lombardi's life. Did you know, by the way, that he didn't originate that? He stole that from somebody, which we stole it. No, actually, we didn't steal this, but people steal it from us. People steal that stuff all the time. I, I kind of like that, that Lombardi didn't, didn't steal that. Then he, but he, I mean, he stole it. He didn't create it, but he used it the rest of his career. Um, it was written, it was first spoken by a Red Sanders, UCLA football coach from the 50s. He's the guy who said that. No, not Jesus did not say that, Art. So (laughs) have a little little quiz, Bible or famous sports quotes, all right? Uh, No, Jesus didn't say that. It It was Red Sanders, then it was Lombardi, and Lombardi used it, and he actually then he changed it from winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. He changed it later on. He's quoted it and kind of left this legacy. Uh, he said, no, what, here's what I'm about. He goes, winning isn't uh, everything. It's the will to win. That is everything. So it's the will to win. And then Bear Bryant uh, came along and said, what did he say? He said, uh, uh, it's not the will to win that matters. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. So then we can just keep going from there. I just like Al Davis, just win, baby. But, you know, those kinds of credos, they're all over our culture. They're on our teams. Anybody been involved in sports that was in your locker room? It was your coach that said the same things over and over and over again. Those things are important to us because they do. They focus us. They orient us. They motivate us. They crystallize our thinking. And I love it that this is what we're sold out to. I love it that we put our vision statement up on the wall. Can we, can we parse it a little bit together and look at it again? Uh, in fact, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take out the white card that's in front of you on the seat back, and I'd really love everybody to do this. I'm going to ask you to write it down while I'm talking, because I'm going to ask you to do something else with that a little bit later in the service. But I want you to write down this mission statement on that white card so that you're going to be able to take it with you, as well as jot some notes a little later in the, in the sermon. But I'm not sure how much 
you've paid attention to this vision statement before. It starts over here. To engage with the spiritually hungry. To engage with the spiritually hungry. Don't you love the word engage? I think the word engage is so positive, especially in this context. But it is the word that we've started our vision statement with. To engage with the spiritually hungry. Raise your hand if you've ever been spiritually hungry. That's everybody. That's the point of this. The point of this is that Marine Covenant Church is... Marine Covenant Church exists to engage with everybody on their spiritual journey. Everybody, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey. We believe that everybody is spiritually hungry. Some don't know it uh, uh, even, but they are. That we're going to engage with everybody on their journey with, with God. I love that. I love that thought that we're just going to keep engaging with people no matter where they are. And we're going to engage with them to move them toward a life in Christ. That's this piece over the front. Toward a life in Christ. We're going to engage with them toward Jesus. We're going to engage with them so that they may take one more step toward Jesus. Toward who Jesus is. Toward what Jesus accomplished. Toward the forgiveness that Jesus offers. To the relationship that Jesus offered. The salvation that Jesus offers. We're going to move everybody toward Christ. That's what we're about. Don't you love those words? Engage and toward I mean, there's, just, there's no sense of sort of we're going to beat over the head those dumb people who don't believe exactly the way that, you know, you know what I mean? That's, there's no sense of that in that. We're going to engage with people because they're all spiritually hungry. We just met a person who's only been a couple of times this week in the lobby who just said, that's me. I'm spiritually hungry and something's opening up in me. And I love how this church is allowing me to come and be engaged in this process. Isn't that the sweetest? That's what we're about. We want that to be the case for everybody in this room, everybody in our community, and throughout the world where our mission presence, our missionaries, and our trips that we take, where all of those people that are touched through the ministry of this church, that they're engaged in this process toward Jesus, toward Jesus, one step closer to Jesus. And I love that because it's moving one step closer to Jesus. It could be that People are taking very beginning first steps. Somebody in this room might very well be the first time they've darkened the door, so to speak, in their adult life or in their whole life. And that one step through an invitation of a friend or through some curiosity or through a felt need, it took one step toward Christ. We want to be a place where people can move toward Christ in a safe and healthy way. It could be that that step is somebody who has walked with Jesus for decades. And they're moving one step closer to Christ because, as you're going to hear Art preach about in just a moment, we're not content to let where we are be the end of our spiritual journey. And so we're going to engage with those people who are spiritually mature and keep helping them move toward Christ. I love it. I love that mission statement. To move toward, to engage the spiritually hungry people toward a life in Christ. And this life that, that we're helping them discover in Jesus is going to be characterized by heart and head and hands. That's what those three words are about. Inspired, intelligent, and involved. Heart, Holy Spirit guided, felt needs, passion, longing, depth of being, that's inspired. Intelligent head, thinking well, not afraid of the hard questions, not offering easy answers where there are none, not afraid of doubt, living intellectually honest and involved. That's our hands engaged 
in real world needs. All three of those is this life in Christ that we're pursuing. Engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's inspired and intelligent and involved. We all do this, friends. We do, this is what we're about. This is what we're committed to. This is our rallying cry. We do it in this room when we gather. We move toward Christ. We do it in the programs that we have in our children and our adult small groups. And we do it in those things. We do it in the ministries that we have invested in the community. We're engaging with people and helping them move one step closer to Jesus. We do it all over the world through the trips that we take and through the missionaries that we support. Everything that our church does, every line item in our church's budget, we can talk about how we're engaging with spiritually hungry people and helping them move toward Christ. It's what motivates us. It what draws us, and it's what we want to continue to invite you into to be a part of this church because it's life. It's rich. It's what life is supposed to be about, to be engaged in this kind of an epic journey together. So that's our church. That's our mission statement. Did you still give that mission statement an A? Seriously, is that not a great mission statement? I always say that I like it more than anyone I know. I understand that. But I hope you can come to appreciate the way I do. It's what the church of Jesus has always been about, engaging with everybody toward Christ. Church has always been about that. In Philippians, or in Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. Now he was talking about non-Jewish, like Gentiles, and he was talking about Jewish people. He said people that were near God and had been around God, like steeped in church their whole life. He came, he preached good news to those people and he preached good news to the people who had no clue didn't have any, never had any background spiritually, didn't know what they were doing. He said, he came and he preached peace to both of you. And so consequently, you're no longer foreigners. You're not strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And you're being built together, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's from Ephesians chapter two. It's always been what the church is about, engaging with people who are far away and engaging with people who are near and drawing them in to be part of God's household, a place where God dwells. Ah, oh, it's so rich, you guys, to be God's people together and to see how that plays itself out in everything that we do. But the danger has been, and the danger will always be for any organization the danger can always be that a church's vision, that an organization's vision, that a mission can remain this pithy statement on the wall and not be lived out in what it does, how it spends its dollars, how it treats one another, how it leads from the front. There's always a danger that that can be the case. And we're in danger individually of coming to being part of a church and going, that's an awesome mission statement. It's so great but never have it come down off of the wall and into the world in which we're engaged. Come off of the wall and out of our heads and into our lives and into the ways in which we live. The world's full of these kinds of inspirational quotes, but if it stays up there, then we're not being God's people. And we just want to remind you this morning, this is our vision, but we will not be content to, be, to have this nice vision statement sitting up there as a way to say, look at how great we are. It has to become from paint on the wall to power and presence in the world. But that's not gonna happen by itself, is it? I mean, it just doesn't happen by itself because it's up on our wall that it's actually gonna happen in our lives. 
the fulfillment of this vision will depend on our acting intentionally around it. It's like any organization, just like any coach having to motivate his players or her players. There, it's just not going to happen unless there's some intentional choices by the people on that team. And so in light of this this morning, as pastors, we want to remind you, invite you, call you, challenge you to some things that are really necessary to be in our lives if we're going to live out the epic journey of this happening in our midst and through us into our community and the world. Some things we want to remind you to so that this becomes true, not just on the wall, but in our world. And the first thing is this. In order for this to happen, we need to be present. We need to be present. And I understand I'm preaching in the choir because here you are, you're present. You're here. But being present means more than just attendance, although it does mean attendance. And we all know the battle of what it is that we do with our time. This is, do you see the little graphic here? This is, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and, oh, I'm not there that Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. This is about attendance, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's about being present. It's about being engaged in such a way that these people are my people and that I'm their people and that there's relationship with one another so that my presence matters in the church. Friends, this is the way to live. For those of you that are attenders, for those of you that come and experience the music and experience the beauty of it and experience a fun moment, you understand how that's pretty great. But you also know you're longing to be engaged with people, to engage with other spiritually hungry people, and our, it's going to require our presence to do that. And so I just want to challenge you before Ben comes up and takes the next point of this, this morning's message, I just want to challenge you about your presence. Are you presently engaged with people in our church? We harp you about small groups, about these other opportunities. It's not because we want to make you busier. It's because we believe you grow best when you're connected to other people. That's what presence is. And so we want to really challenge you about your next steps in being connected and being present. Not just being in the room, but being in the room connected to other people. Why would presence matter so much? There's a mystery about this, friends kind of a no-brainer, but it's kind of a mystery. But when we gather together, God shows up in this place. And so God has access to you in unique ways when you're gathered with God's people. And so you grow. And when you're present and you're connected to other people, small groups and ministry teams and one-on-one friendships, God shows up in your life and strengthens your journey with him. When you're connected to other people, it just does. That's how it works. So we want to invite you and call you to be present. The scriptures are so clear about it. You can look it up later. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We grow. We're encouraged. We pull this thing off the wall and into the world when we're present in one another's lives. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. So the first thing is, yeah. oh, thank you, a little applause. That's very nice. Oh. Boy, now the pressure's on. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> so the first thing is to be present. And the second one is that we're going to ask you to be people who give generously. And if you think of it this way, um, no one wants or thinks of themselves as stingy, I don't think. I've, whenever I hang out with people, they're like, I'm so generous. No one goes, I'm so stingy. I love being stingy. We all think that we're really generous. But I think if we asked people around us, they would probably 
Well, I know if you ask people around me, they'd go, no, you're not as generous as you think. And this is how I know. There's three things that I, have, I, have, I think are most, really important. One is my time, one is my heart, and one is my money. And in my mind, I am so generous. But after a long day, I'll sit home on the couch and my son will start talking to me and like, he'll share something about, I don't know, whatever a sixth grader shares about. And he can tell all of a sudden my eyes kind of like glaze over and I drift off and I'm like waiting for him to be done. And my son, he's so intuitive and he's not so heartbroken yet. He goes, Dad, oh, you're bored now? And he says it out loud to me. He like calls me to the carpet. He like goes, is what I'm saying not interesting to you? And I'm like, and I'm like oh my gosh, it's not. So how do I fix that, right? Because in my, in my, I'm stingy with my time. It is my time, right? Is this thing that is so important. I'm a part of our leadership team. This is my church. I'm on staff. This is my livelihood. This is the thing that God's called me to. And we have these monthly meetings where we gather and we work out our stuff and I just space out. I'm like, well, are we still here? And, uh, and, I have, and everyone's holding me accountable now. Like they send me little texts like, bend your face, because I'm like, I'm spaced out. Because I think I should be generous. I'm here. I want to be all in. But really, I'm stingy and selfish, and I just am bored. And so I get on my phone, or I, I space out. We, uh, we go out on dates sometimes. My wife will pick up, uh, we'll come back, and it's time to pay the babysitter. And it's that awkward time, right, where you're, you've been out two hours and 15 minutes. So do you pay the two-hour rate or do you pay a three-hour rate? Right? We're not out far enough. And I'm always the two-hour rate. In fact, I actually wanted to be the kind of youth pastor that let youth group kids minister to me by uh, babysitting for free. And my wife's like, no, you cannot do that. And I always, in my heart, my natural reaction is to do the two-hour rate. My wife's like, no, you have to do the three-hour rate. And this idea of giving generously, I think we have to just own that we are stingy people and we're selfish people. It's so easy to pat ourselves on the back and go, look how generous I am. But we're really not. We're really not. And it's helpful just to go, I want to be. I want God to mold and to shape me. If I want to engage with people, I have to be able to give something away. But in my flesh, in the core of my being, I don't want to do that. It's just helpful, I think, before we talk about giving generously, that we just own that most of us are pretty selfish people. We're pretty stingy people. But our heart, our desire is to lean into this thing that God has for us, to give generously. And I love that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he just pulls no punches. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All of us live what we believe. Like, if you want to know, what do I really believe? You just examine your life. You want to know where your heart really is? You examine your finances. And the truth is, if we're honest, at, at our best, we really are. We're generous people. Think of all the things that we give our money to. We give money to PTA and the Compassion International, the International Justice Mission, right? There's like great things like SF Jazz and Berkeley Rep Theater. And like, and the, it, like there's different diseases uh, that you're really passionate about that you want to help cure and solve, right? And all of us in this room, we all, those, we all have different little things. And, and if you think about it, somewhere along the way, someone or something grabbed your heart and you're like, yes. I'm giving to that. I am all in for that. I'm going to make, be a part of making that thing happen. And you find such joy in making that thing happen. And in the church, it's a little bit weird because we all have kind of different issues and baggage that come along to it. But, and so I think for many of us, we step back and we forget that the church is also one of those things. And why wouldn't we give generously to the church that we love? We give generously to all these other things in our lives so why not give generously to the things that we love, and this church being one of them? And so I just want to talk really briefly about how to pull that off. Because you giving generously to our church is twofold. One, in the, well, I'm, I'm so selfish in all this too. 
I'm going to try my best to be removed from this. I think, honestly, if God was saying, this is the deal, you should give generously to the church because when you give, your heart goes where your money goes. And if you start giving just a ton of money to whatever it is, in this case, the church, let's say you just start giving a ton of money, you are going to care so much about what is going on in the local church. You are going to be so invested in the lives of our missionaries and in our student ministries. You are going to care what in the world we do with our staffing and what happens in our budgets. And when we vote on budgets, you're going to be there because you're like, I paid for 90% of that budget. I care where that money goes. Right? When you give no money, you're like, I don't want to do that thing. And I really think if God was going to be, like in the truth of the truth, God's like, you give, not because he needs it, but because it actually tunes and shapes our heart. And there is this other part of it, and this is the part where I have to admit my, my flesh and my, my angst is a little bit wrapped up into it, because part of how you give impacts me, impacts us, impacts our ministry. We're an institution in a building with budgets and staffing, and we have stuff to do. And the way that you give actually creates the health of the organization. And what's incredible is that our church is so healthy, and you guys are so generous. Even in the bottom of the, of the recession, people were giving so generously, and we had so much anxiety, and God was always faithful. You were always so faithful. And now we're in this time where we, we, we are doing really well financially. And because of that, we can give so much more generously. And it is incredible. It is so fun to think, who can we bless? How can we go over the top and bless people and to care for people and to stand in the gaps for people? And that's because the majority of you are so invested here, and we are so thankful for that. But I would like to encourage all of us, as we're thinking about how are we going to do our vision statement, how are we going to get after the things that God has for us, how are we all willing to take one step further in, that I would like to encourage you to think about, can you be more generous? More generous to the church that you love with your time and with your resources. Are you willing to be more generous? So there's four quick things I'd like you to think about. Because when we think about giving generously, and this is just— I drew the short straw, so I get to talk about the money part. Um, But here's the four things I think are helpful if we want to actually lean into it and not just go, I'm a generous person, but to actually be generous people. Here's the four things we have to do. One, we have to just own our junk. All of us have a weird relationship with money. Most of us have a really weird relationship with money when it comes to church and religion. And a lot of times we just put it on the back burner. We don't think about it. But we just have to wrestle with it. What are our issues? Do I not trust the church? Do I not trust the leadership team? Do, do they seem like they're doing all too great already? They don't need my money? Like whatever it is, like you just have to figure out what your deal is and just own it. What is your deal? And work it out. Wrestle with it. I'm not saying we all have to agree with where you land, but just let's, let's do the intentional work to wrestle with it. Some of you guys have been a part of our church forever and ever, and you've seen and you've invested and you've pulled this thing off, and we're here today because of your investment, and thank you and keep doing that. There's people at our church who have been here for a year, for two years, who are, like, who are still kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm here or not. And that's great, too. It takes a long time now with all of our weird baggage and all of our weird issues to really land somewhere. But I would just encourage you, one, to own your junk. What is your issue with money? If this is your church, but you're not sure, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been here for two years already. If this is your church, then be all in. Put both feet in. Give generously. Let your heart be drawn in and full, a part of all that God is doing. The second thing we have to do is we have to just be intentional. We don't just like hear some awesome sermon or uh, we hear a, a really sob story and we're like, I need to solve that thing, so here's this one check this one time. We have to think about, God, what do I need to give? We do that with every other philanthropic organization we give to. We think, 
what do I want to give? We do the one-offs all the time, but for the ones that we care about, we think, how much can I really give? How can I really be a part of that organization's future? And, and we think about it, and we intentionally work it out, and we plan for it, and we do it. So we have to be intentional. The third thing is that we have to be regular. It's a regular thing. It's a disciplined thing. It's not just, oh, today I feel like I, oh, I got, look, I got cash today. That's awesome. To make this thing work, to the intentionally run after it, we're, it's a regular giving. It's a regular giving where we day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, however it works for your family, but that you give regularly. And, uh, and now, right, it's so great. We don't even have to have cash in our pocket. We don't even have to have checkbooks. We can go on, our, uh, on the app, on the Facebook. There's all sorts of ways to do digitally. And I would just encourage you, if this is your church, if this is the church that you love, if you are all invested, make the small step of just making it regular. Set it up once a month, once a week, however it works for you. And then the last thing is to give percentagely. That's not even a word. I checked in Google, but it worked with all the other ones. That in all the other things that we give to, we give a little bit of our money here and we give a little bit of our money there. Christians and, and really and Jewish people, from the beginning of time, there's been this idea that we give 10%. And it's a percent. It's a tithe. It's part of who we... So if you make $100, oh, it's... What is that? $10. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I slipped out. My wife does our finances, so don't, don't, don't worry. <laughs> but right, it doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are, you give a percentage of what you have. And that way, as God continues to bless you and you can skyrocket into whatever God has for you, well, then you get to be extra generous and skyrocket along. If you crash and burn, well, then you give tiny little bits. It, but it's this discipline that goes along with who you are. And for some of us, because of uh, number one, we all can't own our junk and our issues, well, maybe 10% is like, that's a, that is a bridge too far. But however you're giving, I would encourage you to make it a percentage. And maybe this year, as you're thinking about being generous, to think about what would one more percent do? What would that do to be a part of this mission so all of us can run after all that God has for us and to be the generous people, to be a blessing to this county so that people would know the good news of Jesus? All right, 41 seconds over. Sorry, Greg. It's all right. I'm sure I'll top it. So to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's inspired, intelligent, and involved, and you wrote that on your cards. And we're talking today about how in the world we pull that off of the wall so it's more than paint on a wall or a plaque someplace that's inspiring, some inspiring pithy statement, and move it from being sim simply, uh, no matter how well done and artistically pleasing it is, paint on a wall to power released in the world. That's what we're convinced Jesus is calling us to, to be inspired, uh, by the Lord to touch people who are hungry but an intelligent approach to Christianity. And it, I hope it's an encouragement to you to hear or be reminded that there are many churches in Marin that are just as serious about this uh, as us. We have no corner on the market. In fact, our understanding is enhanced by our partners uh, in other churches. The question is, okay, how's that going to happen? What are some of the things that need to be true in order for that goal uh, to be met? And it's true. You've got to be together. You've got to be present. You can't feel. Am I? Yeah. Okay. I like in and out You like in and out This is kind of a little play on words there, just in case you didn't pick it up. If that doesn't get you to clap, I don't know what will get you to clap. Harvey Drake said, uh, you can't heal what you won't touch. 
And being present is all about seeing that kind of thing happen. And I'm reminded of another pithy statement that uh, our friend Ray Johnston, who was formerly a staff member here, reminded us of when we first launched into trying to raise the three and a half plus million dollars to do our remodel, which by the way is all paid for, thanks to God's faithfulness and your generosity. A debt is not taxing us because of your generosity. Um, and Ray said, he challenged us. He said, nothing truly great happens without three things. Some of you remember this. Without vision, commitment, and sacrifice. There's a dying to something in order to see something else live. And those who have vision and commitment and sacrifice get the privilege of watching great things happen. And then other people read about the great things those people were involved with. There's just some little chip in my heart that says I'll never be satisfied ever, ever to have a vision statement nicely painted on the walls that doesn't blow my world away and get off the walls into the world. And presence, huge sacrifice. What are you you're asking us for money? Of course we are. Why wouldn't we? Because great things are happening as a result of those investments. And I want to offer a third challenge. It's a challenge of presence, of giving sacrificially, giving uh, generously. But this idea of Never arriving, never allow ourselves to arrive. Our pursuit, the one we're pursuing is Jesus. We want him to be the leader of our lives, the model for our lives, what is religiously called the Lord of our lives. What's your heart, God? I want it. What breaks your heart? I want that stuff to break my heart. What things do you value? I'm going to learn to have those same values. Where are you going? I want to go there. How fast are you running? I want to run that fast. Will you slow down so that I can at least keep up and keep pursuing you? But you know that idea and that picture never stops. You're never satisfied. Vision statements come off of plaques and into worlds when those are the vision statements of people who have learned to never, ever arrive but always pursue. Always pursuing, never arriving. Lifetime learners. Folks always wanting more of Jesus. Lead me more. Speak to me more specifically, because I'm a learner. As recently as in the first gathering, I was having a little experience while we were worshiping. I didn't share with you guys this yet. Sitting right there in the front, and we're in the middle of singing, I don't remember, Michael or, and Linda, which song it was, but we're singing, and I start having this thought, a question for Jesus while I'm praying. I said, Lord, I know it's not, it's not the way I understand Scripture, and it might even be an inappropriate question. It might be theologically absurd to, ask, absurd to ask it, but man, wouldn't it be cool if your grace extended so far that even those who despised you and rejected you got to experience your love and mercy. And I'm thinking, as the Lord's speaking back to me, it was really me thinking, putting words in his mouth. But, yeah, now, you know that's not what's taught. I know, but man, could I ask you that? Is that that's, 
Isn't that, I, I want to know about that. I want to read more about what's going on and, and, and your mercy and how far it extends and what it means and what it doesn't mean. To ask those kinds of forbidden questions and always be curious and always maintain a healthy skepticism and to dare to chase after Jesus at that sort of level and beyond and never arrive but always hunger for him. Vision statements fall off of walls and begin to infect communities when people are always growing, always pursuing, always experiencing more of Christ. Let me, um, is my other one gonna work for a second? Because I wanna read, well here, excuse me when the mic's away from my mouth, but listen to this. Listen to this text. Oh, thank you. It takes a village, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate that, Kelly. This must be a text from uh, a follower of Jesus who wasn't very far along, who still had a long way to go. Because listen to how much hasn't happened yet in this person's life. I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection. See, this implies sort of maybe that he hasn't yet. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know all that. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, I long for all of that. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I never arrive, but I always press on. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward that goal, the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a person who seems to have not arrived And of course, you might know it was written by the Apostle Paul. But not early in his ministry. That's written by the Apostle Paul after, from age one to five, he had been taught on the knee of his dad stories from the Old Testament and asked to recite them. And then from the age of five to approximately 10, taught more demanding theological lessons to where he's learning Uh, the Hebrew language, and to speak and read the scripture in Hebrew and to refer back to where these texts are and where these stories are and recite some of the meanings. And then about the age of 10, 10-ish, he gets placed under the tutelage of the man who's said to be the finest rabbi in the world. He had 10 years at least with that rabbi to learn even more demanding theological lessons. He was bilingual, this guy who wanted to press on and might someday arrive. He was theologically astute. He was aware, he was multicultural because he was all over the, the uh, Roman Empire, learning, learning, learning. And then one day while he's in pursuit of the Christian church to close the church down and arrest Christians, And he had to learn a lot about the church. He had to have the church's playbook so he could know how to defeat the church. And he's en route to do that one day, and he's blinded, knocked off of his horse, and hears a voice from heaven say, dude, why are you persecuting me? Stop it. 
That blows him away, as you might imagine. He goes down, is baptized, actually what went from pursuing the Christian church to becoming part of the Christian church. Then he leaves, but he's still trying to arrive. Then he leaves, goes away by himself in the desert four years and is taught Christian doctrine, taught about what the prophecies meant and how all this comes together, arguably from Jesus directly himself. The reference, the text says that. Theologians are questioning whether or not that's figurative or literal. But it may even have been that he was taught by Jesus himself those four solid years. No implication of a day off, of theological training. And he comes from that, shows up with the apostles in Jerusalem and says, here's what I've experienced, you guys teach me. Has a couple of weeks face to face with Peter and James and some of the others. That might have been valuable for him. From there, he becomes one of the great missiologist church planters of the world, trained under Barnabas. And after about 10 years, he and Barnabas decide to go their separate ways. For another 15 years, he leads his own church planting ministry, starting Christian churches all over Asia Minor, up into Rome, all around, starting new churches. And then, about 10 years after that, he writes what we just read. Someday, maybe I'll get it. This is the Apostle Paul. I long for Jesus. I long for more. I haven't arrived. My goodness, if what you've done isn't arriving, what in the world is? Look, these things become reality when people gather, when people give, and when people keep growing closer to Jesus. I'll never have enough of you. I'll never hug you enough, kiss you enough, be around you enough. Our romance will never end. No matter how much I experience you, I long for you more. Refuse, ladies and gentlemen, refuse, church, to have ever arrived. Refuse that arrogance and embrace the humility of always pursuing, always growing, always chasing after our love, Jesus Christ, and vision statements will become life experiences. What's that look like? I have some examples. They see Christ Christianity as a never-ending quest. Dive into scripture and stay submerged. Ask the forbidden questions. Wonder theologically. Value a healthy skepticism. Practice the discipline of holy dissatisfaction and holy longing. And imagine yourself saying to Jesus, I'm skeptical about that, that teaching. And then see if you can really imagine Jesus saying, well, you stupid fool. You guys, what am I going to do with you? No. Jesus, here's who Jesus is, the one we pursue. I imagine him saying, well, of course you're skeptical about that. You were born in a time of the Enlightenment where everything can be and must be proven, and I ask you to believe things like, I died and rose from the dead. If you're not skeptical in a healthy way about that, then I'm not sure you're thinking. Of course you doubt that. And I imagine Jesus putting his arm around us and saying, come on, let's go doubt that together. I'll walk with you there. Let's go learn together about that. You pursue him. And you watch what happens when that vision statement is put on the dinner table 
of Marin County, great things are in store for us. Clap. It is awesome that he just yelled clap at you. It's so great. I'm asking the band to come up. We're going to finish uh, with one worship song here, friends. But you know those cards where you wrote down the vision statement? Can you write down those word pairs as well? Write down on there, be present. Be present. Give generously. Never arrive. Be present. Give generously. Never arrive. Because we want to ask you, today, beginning of this year, as we get into this season of living out this amazing opportunity to engage with spiritually hungry people toward Christ, we want to ask you as we engage in this year together, will you be intentional about your part to help that come off the wall and, in, and into the world. And I'm gonna challenge you to take this as some homework this week, to do some work, even beyond sort of the normal, I mean, we're, we're not naive. We know that it's Sunday, it's lunch, it's football, boom, and then you're, you know, hopefully back next week. But if you could be taking that card with you and spend some time with the Lord this week and be thinking about your intentional response to this vision statement where those far away and those near can know the good news of Jesus. How can you be present? Are you present and engaged, connected to people? It matters when you're here. It matters when you're not. It, the people that, that you're connected to know that you're for them and they're for you. Are you present? not just attendance on Sunday morning, but that. But are you present and engaged with people where God shows up and works? What's your next step in that? Do you need to join one of these millions of groups we got going on and opportunities? Do you need to invest in some friendships, etc.? You hear where I'm going? Where I'm going? What's, what's a step? What's one step toward Christ in your journey? Reflect this week on giving generously. Is there a part of what Ben said that needs to be incorporated the next step for you? Dealing with your junk, giving regularly, intentionally, proportionally. Is there a step of moving forward in giving to the kingdom of God? And what about never arriving? Is there something you could be reflecting on this week about your next step in pursuing Jesus? For some of you, you're at the very beginning of your journey. And again, a conversation between services, somebody said, you got, I got to read. You got a book? Like, I got to read. I'm like, well, we got the Bible. And then here's a book. You can try this book. What's your next step in moving toward Jesus? If you're mature, you've been around forever, what's your next step in learning and growing and su submitting to Christ? going to memorize something, you're going to get involved in a ministry area, you're going to have a conversation with somebody, what's your growth step? But these three things, if we're intentional about our parts in those things, then we get to actually have the privilege of seeing this vision come true, that people learn the good news of Jesus 
people that are spiritually hungry, people that are in this room, people that are in our neighborhoods, people that are in our schools, people that are at our job sites, people that are in our county, and people all around the world where our ministry extends. We long to have people come to know the good news of Christ and not let that just be our motto. May God grace you as you think through your steps, as you take this card and meditate and process and do some work with him this week. Let's stand together and sing in response to the Lord before we go. And it is such a joy to live uh, among you as a church who um, submitted to Jesus and wanting to see the good news uh, of his love and grace uh, go out from us. So bless you. I want to receive these blessings. May you guys, as you go from here, um, be present to God and present to his people so you can grow in those unique ways that only God can do when we show up together with one another. And you don't have to always be stingy jerks. <laughs> you can be people who are wholehearted and may you give generously, may God grow your heart for his will, for his kingdom, for his glory. And may you be constantly aware of Christ's invitation in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. But with a deeper understanding, remembering that those are written in present tense and could be trans translated like this. Keep seeking and you will be finding. Keep knocking and the door will be being open to you. Never arrive, folks. Never arrive. Just keep running.